Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 3 to 11 today in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're nearing the end of our study of the book of Hebrews, uh, but this, uh, this is a great passage, I think a hard passage, but a great passage today. Let me pray for us one more time, and then we'll look at Hebrews 12, 3 to 11. Father God, I thank you for just the opportunity to gather together with your people and, and do what your people do, which is being drawn back to the good news of the gospel. These glorious theological truths that just totally transform us. They give us joy and, and life like nothing else. Lord, we're here to confess that you're better. You're better than anything else. Anything that this world has to offer, even the good things, none of them can touch how good and glorious you are. And Lord, it, it fills our souls just to say it, to just remember it, to be drawn back to it. Lord, we in many ways have a, a really glorious passage to look at today, but, but also a hard passage in so many ways. And so Lord, uh, I ask that you would just send your spirit and, and that he would just fill this room. And, and Lord, if there's anything that is distracting us right now, help, help us just to put it aside. Any sin, any trial, any hurt, help us just put it aside. And help us just to focus on you and your word in these next moments together. Lord, Lord we know that as we study your word, we're transformed into your image. And in that, you're glorified and pleased. And so, again, Lord, send your spirit. Convict us of sin. Give us eyes to see, encourage us, and do the work that only he can do. And finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, discipline leads to discipline. Of course, I'm using those words a couple of different ways. But disciplining children, I think it's kind of been a confused endeavor for maybe a couple of generations uh, this week, I read an article by uh, on Fatherly Magazine, and they really made a case for the virtues of disciplining your children. And what I liked about the article is, is they really, it was kind of a data-driven thing. And so they quoted uh, uh, journals like the Frontiers of Psychology and Health, uh, Health Psychology Review and the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And what they did in the article is they showed through this data that there's a link between parental discipline and the ability of children to develop self-control. The point they were making is parental discipline leads to a more disciplined child. A more self-controlled, disciplined child then has all these benefits. And they laid out all these benefits for children who are disciplined in self-control. Disciplined children are, are less distracted. They feel better about themselves. They feel more satisfied with their lives. Disciplined children are better students, and they become lifelong learners. And as a result, they're able to set and achieve more significant goals. Disciplined children are just more positive in general. Any sort, of, any sort of harmful temptation that you can think of. A disciplined, self-controlled child is able to avoid those temptations at a greater rate. 
that they have more endurance. There's a, a category that these guys use called grit, which that's a great category. And they said grit is the ability to overcome the trials of life and, and not let those trials just totally mow you over. And in self-discipline or in discipline and self-controlled children, they, they have greater grit to navigate these, tri- these trials. As a result, they're more emotionally stable. They're more physical healthy. They're better at saving money. All of these benefits come from the blessing of self-control. Discipline leads to discipline. And again, parents hear that. Discipline leads to discipline. Children, hear that. Discipline leads to discipline or your own self-control. But hear me, discipline can be hard, right? No one likes discipline, but discipline is good, isn't it? We're in Hebrews 12 today, and if you're new with us, this is kind of the application point of the book. So up to this point, it's been this really glorious, high, beautiful, complex theology. And it's been, the author of Hebrews has been making this case that Jesus is better. And the reason why he's been making that case is, is the problem that he's trying to address is people falling away. People were falling away from the faith. So if you think deconstruction and people abandoning the faith is is like a a modern problem only, you don't know church history. People have always been falling away from the faith. It's always been a temptation to avoid pain, make more money, whatever. If you would just abandon the faith, you could have some of these things. They've always been tempted for that. And this is what was going on in the first generation of the church. And his solution to that is to say Jesus is better. Whatever is tempting you away, more money... I've got something better than more money. I've got Jesus for you. He's saying Jesus is better than all those things. Whatever is tempting you away, a convincing argument, well, I've got something better, Jesus. He's more complex, he's more beautiful, he's more profound than anything the world can throw at you. Jesus is better than whatever is tempting you away. He's the solution, if you will, to the problem of of falling away. And so what he's doing now at this point this application point of the book. He's made this turn of all this theology, and now he's kind of getting to how this applies. And really what he's saying here at this point is this call to endure. He knows these folks are are facing difficulties. He knows they're facing trials, and he tells them to endure, to endure through whatever comes your way. And last week we said he wants us to bounce back, to come back. In other words, he wants us to endure whatever is calling us to stay away. We're to have self-control when we face uh, temptations. We're to be disciplined in the face of trials. We're to embrace discipline as a means to righteous endurance. That's the point he's trying to make today. He's calling us to endure through trials, so he's calling us to discipline. However, the problem for most of us is, is that we don't like discipline, right? Like none of us is excited about being disciplined. In fact, typically when we're disciplined, we judge it as wrong, right? Think about the times you've been disciplined. Your instinct, your natural reaction is to say, that's wrong. Or it's just to to hate the discipline because it's painful. Discipline's painful. No one likes discipline, okay? But but we know that it's good, and specifically what we're going to see today, it's good because it leads to endurance. It enables us to endure. It's the pathway to endurance, So when our flesh instinctively hates discipline, we're to rebuke the flesh and say discipline is actually good. We need to embrace it as good, and we need to understand it as a pathway to discipline. Let's start with Jesus. 
Jesus is where we start in this passage. He's this great, perfect example as someone who endured. The first call here is to remember how Jesus endured. Look look with me at verses 3 and 4. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. Jesus is the most disciplined, self-controlled, enduring person that ever lived. Now, of course, Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11, and it's this great hall of faith. These, these great, glorious examples of these saints enduring, they're great examples. But Jesus is better. Jesus is, is this perfect example of endurance. He's the best example for us to follow. And so he calls us to consider him. Consider him is, is setting aside other thoughts, focusing in on him, really deeply pondering him. And what we're to do is we're to intentionally understand Christ in order to endure. We're to push into, okay, how did he endure? We're to consider his endurance. And by doing that, what he's saying here is, hey, there's an exhortation. You need to then endure. Consider him. Look at the way he endured. And then you endure the same way. That's the point of considering him. He endured. You need to endure the same way. The question comes, well, how did Jesus endure? Look back at the passage. It says that the nature of his endurance is that he endured the hostility of sinners. Now, hang with me on this. Sinful people were always hostile to Jesus. Now, if you maybe even go all the way back to the angel and Mary and Joseph, he, he promised that Jesus had a purpose, had a mission. There was a mission that Jesus had. He came for a reason. He came to teach about the kingdom of God, how we're supposed to live, what the kingdom is going to be like, and we live as citizens today of that kingdom. And then he came to atone for our sins, to die on the cross, to pay the debt that we could not pay. Both of those things, teaching, dying for our sins, there were just multitudes of people that were hostile to him on both of those things. Most of the people were not supportive of that. When he came in and talked about Blessed are the poor. For they, they didn't want to hear any of that. There, were constantly, there was constant hostility towards Christ. People were always rejecting Christ. They were always hostile to Him. Even when He dies on the cross for our sins, you have sinners passing by Him all that day, cursing at Him, yelling at Him, mocking Him. They're always hostile to Him. But yet, He endured for the mission. He never gave up. He continued to teach. He went ahead and died. He persevered. He didn't give up. He endured in spite of the hostility to the degree, to the point that he dies on the cross for our sins, that there's shedding of blood. He says, none of us have endured to the very end, but he didn't stop. He didn't quit. And further, look again at verse 3, Jesus endured so that. So that what? Why? Why else did he endure? That you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now again, he had this purpose of teaching the kingdom of God. Dying for the sins of of his people, atoning for his people. But he also endured with with this purpose of inspiring and enabling us for our own endurance. This is also why he died. To to be this example of uh, inspiration. To to enable us to not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay, that raises some questions. What? What does it mean that, what is faint-hearted and weary? What does that mean? And also, what does it mean that he inspires us? What does it mean that he, uh, that he enables endurance? Well, growing weary 
is what causes people to not endure. Growing weary is why people fall away. There are these things that happen outside of us, and then on the inside, we grow weary. We, in our hearts, we grow faint-hearted. We get weak on the inside, and we just quit. But, but this is a heart issue. When someone quits, when someone falls away, when someone quits enduring, it, it's a heart issue. And that's why he uses a heart word, an internal word, faint-hearted. They become feeble of soul. They're, they're down. They're, they're falling apart. They're weary. All these uh, pressures on the outside have led to this pressure on the inside, and then they fall away. And so what he's getting at is, is the heart of the problem. He, he's wanting to give a solution to that. See, on the outside, these pressures happen, and then we, on the inside, crumble, and then on the outside, we fall away. And Jesus is giving us a solution, first by giving us an example. Jesus never falls away. He never falls away. All those pressures come at him. Greater pressures than any uh, pressure you felt, and he never fell away. He always endured. Isn't that inspiring? Like when you look at his life and all these glorious things that he overcame, all the hostility, and then you look at your stuff, it pales in comparison, doesn't it? Like we are to look up at him and be inspired by his faithfulness. We're to see that all that he overcame, all that pain, and say, you know what? If he was able to get through that, I can get through this. So his endurance inspires us, if you will, to greater faithfulness. But Jesus is more than an inspirer. He's also an enabler. You remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. But how does he end it? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a really good news to it, right? His presence is what enables us to endure. He's always with us. He inspires us. He's this amazing example. But, but when you're walking through something that is just causing your knees to crumble, He's there to enable you. His presence is there. He's with you in that, enabling you to endure. Therefore, again, consider Him. If you want to endure, ponder how Jesus endured and reflect upon how He overcame and then find hope in the fact that He will be with you, helping you also to endure. So exhibit discipline, exhibit self-control, endure when it's difficult. But when it gets hard, remember how Jesus endured and believe that promise that He is with you, helping you overcome. Isn't that good news? Listen, you're, gonna, you're probably walking through a trial right now. And I promise you, you're going to walk through more trials. Until you breathe your last breath, there's going to be trials in this world. There's going to be temptations for you to fall away. But he's going to be with you in all of it. That's why you're able to endure. Not because you're awesome, but because he's with you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that hopeful good news? I don't know the twists and turns that he's going to take you on, but he's going to be with you in it through all all of it. Listen, we're starting on the top here. It's now getting into something hard. Jesus is the good news. Consider him. And now he's going to take a turn into something hard. He's going to call us to believe that divine discipline is good. Start with me at verse 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
and chastises every son whom he receives. The author of Hebrews now makes this turn from Jesus' inspiring and enabling endurance to this important discussion on discipline. But Hebrews is, is beautiful at this because Hebrews makes this, this constant reminder that God is sovereign. He's gracious. His election is unconditional. It's not based upon how good you are. And further, He promises to persevere all the saints. All these glorious truths that we just rest our lives on. That we sing hymns about. All these great truths about His sovereignty and grace in no way conflicts with this genuine call for you to endure. All of that fits together for Him. God being sovereign, He can be perfectly gracious, He can promise to persevere you, and at the same time, he can, uh, he can challenge you and call you to endure. God will not only persevere you, but He will also discipline you, is the point. He's going to be with you, He's going to persevere you, but hear me, He is going to discipline you. Both We can both rest in His grace and be rebuked to be more disciplined uh, to, to endurance. Both of those things can happen. He's, he is going to, uh, he's clear that he disciplines us. Disciplines about training or instruction or correction. Biblically, disciplines typically referred to in the context of educating or shepherding or parenting a child. Now, it's distinct from punishment in that discipline is this positive notion of correction, okay? So think about it. Discipline has development as its goal. However, for punishment, justice is the goal. So godly discipline is meant to be understood as beneficial. Verses 5 and 6 make the point that God disciplines those he loves. And he cites Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 to make the point. Now this proverb highlights a link here. There's a link between discipline and love. And the bridge between the link is fatherhood. It starts talking about fathers love their children. And this love is manifested in many ways. Think about your own father. Your father loved you and that manifests itself in different ways. Maybe it manifests itself in hugs or wrestles with his children. A good father tells his children that he loves them and that he's proud of them. A good father provides for his children's physical needs. A good father also provides discipline for his children when they sin. In fact, discipline is actually evidence of his love. So if a father never disciplines, you can take it the other way and understand maybe he doesn't really love them. The point here is that when fathers discipline, it's a demonstration of their love for them. So the father, uh, the, the author uh, felt it important to, to frame this conversation about discipline within this image of the love of the father because he doesn't, because we don't naturally embrace discipline, but we don't naturally judge it as good. In fact, when we're disciplined, we don't naturally think, oh, this is good. God loves me. That's not how we respond to discipline. We, we hate discipline. We, we think it's wrong. Picture the pressed lips, the crossed arm of, of that toddler when you tell her no or wait or stop. At some level, she thinks it's wrong that you're telling her no or wait or stop, right? She, she hates it. She thinks it's wrong. And further, we hate it because it's painful. Like, like think when you were a teenager and you get grounded. It, it's painful to have to miss all that's going on that weekend with all your friends. It, it's a painful moment. We don't naturally like discipline. 
Therefore, we have to be reminded that it's good. We don't naturally think that it's good. We don't naturally want it. We don't naturally like it. We need to be reminded that it's a demonstration of God's love for us. Look now at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Now, here's the clear point that he's making. Discipline is good because it helps you endure. It's good, and the reason why it's good is it helps you endure. It helps you gain greater self-control, greater discipline. Now, when the Spirit convicts us of sin, it's good because it then changes our hearts, it changes our hands, and it helps us endure through the pain. So when the Bible tells us no on something, it actually leads to blessing and endurance through greater temptations. And further, if when God, maybe through a friend, rebukes you of something, it leads to greater faithfulness resulting in endurance through trials. So further, we should also understand that endurance, because when you, when you hear God's discipline and you heed God's discipline, and it leads to endurance and greater faithfulness, you're then able to avoid all this other discipline that could come your way. So discipline is good because it helps you endure. Let's keep reading 7 and 9. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are, Ill- then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Further, or, or shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? We know that the discipline of the heavenly father is good because we see it in the discipline of our earthly fathers, right? That's how we know this is good. Parents, as hard as it is to discipline your children, it's good. When they roll your eyes at you, when they kick back in some form, remember what you're doing is loving. They don't receive it that way. They maybe hate you for it, but it's the loving thing. When I was in college, I joined a fraternity. Now, listen, for some of you, maybe fraternity, maybe that, maybe that was good for you. It was not good for Micah, okay? I was going down a wrong path, joining fraternity, only like maybe go further down that wrong path. Got in trouble. And I moved in with some guys. We had a little house near the university, and we were living together, some guys from the fraternity, and I got in trouble. My dad came over, sat me down, and he said, here's what's going to happen you're moving back in with us. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. I don't pay for any more tuition. So you either move back in with us, and I'll keep paying your tuition, or you stay here and you just go your own way. I hated him for it. I was so mad about it. I was so mad, and I knew he was right. I knew he was right. And I moved out, depledged, went back and lived with my parents. And it was hard, and I hated it. And I knew he was right. And it took time, but I got to where it was good, and I was thankful for it. Parents, do you hear that? They're going to roll their eyes. They're going to kick back right now, but there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day where they look back, and they see that that discipline was good. It was evidence of your love for them, and it helped them endure, and they'll be thankful for it. Children, fight the childish temptation to hate your parents for disciplining you. It's a temptation. I get it. No one likes to be told no. I'm an adult. I hate being told no. 
hate waiting. You're going to hate it too. You're going to hate when your parents tell you no. But what I'm telling you is it's a demonstration of their love for you. In that moment, when your flesh rears up, just take a breath. Back away from it and remember that this is good. It's evidence of the fact that God loves you. Your parents love you. Further, it's the pathway to maturity. You want a mature child? Then embrace discipline. It's your pathway to enduring, to developing self-control, to, to overcoming wickedness, to pushing through trials in your life. Discipline is key to all of that. And so if you're constantly pushing back on it, you're not going to get there. Rather, you're going to be weak and faint-hearted. Children, discipline is good because it helps you endure. Look at verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Hebrews 12 really isn't about parents disciplining children and children embracing discipline. That's wisdom and that's truth, but that's not really the point of this. he's, He's just using that image to get to this greater point. Because as you think back at the discipline of your parents, they probably really messed it up at times. They were maybe too hard on you and they should have been soft on you. Maybe they didn't know the full picture. If they would have known the full picture, they would have reacted differently. They were, you know, they were sinful in their discipline maybe in some way, but not God. God's in a totally different category, and he has to clearly explain this. Like what he's saying here is, listen, maybe your parents were limited in some way when they disciplined you, but not God. Maybe your parents were not good in some way, maybe even evil in the way that they disciplined you, but not your heavenly father. There were times maybe when their discipline was vindictive rather than beneficial, but not God. His, His discipline is always good. It's never limited in its knowledge. It's never at the wrong time. It's always at the right time with the perfect tone. Parents, isn't that the difficulty of discipline? How hard do I push? Is this the right time for it? We never really know, but God always knows. His discipline is always pitch perfect, always at the right time. When He disciplines us, we can know that it's for our good. God's discipline of us is never bad, and it's never limited. It's always good. It's always within His sovereignty. It's always within His omniscience. His timing is always perfect. Uh, He is all-knowing. He always knows what is best. He always does what what is best. And He always does everything that He does for you, for your good. Therefore, trust Him. If all of those things are true, then his timing, his pitch, his tone, the way he disciplines you, trust him on it. Go back to those glorious gospel truths that you know about it. They're they're not like you. He's not like your dad. He's not like your mom. He's perfect in this discipline. He's not fallen like they were. He's always working for your good. And further, working for our good means that uh, it, it helps us share in his holiness, verse 10. You see that? The purpose of this is that we share in His holiness. So holiness or Christ-likeness, that's the good purpose of God's discipline. If you come to me and say, why did I get fired? Why did she leave me? Why did I get sick? I don't know. I don't know the specifics of why all the particulars of the bad things that happened to you. But I do know the big picture. 
I do know that what he's doing in all of that pain, all that discipline, all that hardship, is he is conforming you to God's image. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I don't fully know why, but I do know that he's working something good. He's trying to make you look more like Christ. And that's the wonderful spiritual project of pain. When he brings pain into your life, he's doing it for some good reason. And I don't know why that's your job to figure that out. And figuring that out is good because there's something good at the end of that. I don't know why, but he does. And he's working something good through that discipline or through that pain. He's helping you endure. He's helping you become more holy. You remember the story of Joseph? One of the great apologetics for the truth of the Bible is the characters in the Bible, they're not like Iliad and Odyssey where they have like these weird superhuman strengths and you're like, that's not true. Like when you read the Bible, like these are, these are complex kind of fallen, messed up people, okay? And you're like, I can believe in Peter, okay? <laughs> I identify with that. There's, some people say there's this one kind of outlier, Joseph. Joseph seems to always do it right. You know, Potiphar's wife, faithful in jail, all these different things. But when people make that case, they forget the teenage years. You remember Joseph as a teenager? That, that was a sorry teenager, right? You with me? Like he was the younger brother that everybody hated, and rightly so. He was just kind of a jerk, right? Like he was dad's favorite, dad, dad, and he kind of, you know, made fun of, he picked on everybody, made everybody feel bad about themselves. And what happened? They threw him in a hole, and then they sell him off to slavery. You know what that was? That was God's discipline. That was discipline in Joseph's life. What a terrible experience. Should they have done that? Of course not. But it was discipline in his life. Now, when he's in that hole, what's he supposed to believe there? Just be mad at God. How could you do this to me? I don't deserve this. If that's what he's doing in that hole, he's going to stay in that hole. But, but God had bigger plans for him. God was working something good in that discipline. God was certainly disciplining him, but that wasn't the end of the story. He was doing something holy in his life. He was making him more holy. Again, he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. That's where he was taking him to. But what does holiness look like? What, what, what can we hope to gain from the pain of discipline? What does divine discipline produce? Look at our last verse. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Friends, discipline produces good fruit, generally. Specifically here, discipline produces the good fruit of endurance, righteousness. Discipline leads to righteousness, to endurance. Thank Joseph. He was in that hole, but God wasn't done with him there. That was not pleasant. Discipline is never pleasant, but pleasant things are coming. That was painful down there, but something pleasant is coming. Anytime you catch me in the middle of discipline, I'm grumbling about the pain. Are you with me? You're moving back home. Thank you, Father. Yes, I know you love me. I will pack my bags. I will be there in an hour. That was not Micah's response. Still not my response. When I'm in discipline, 
I'm struggling to believe this is good and I'm grumbling about the pain. It doesn't feel pleasant in the moment, but the pleasant stuff comes. Now listen, it might not come for years. Joseph from that hole to where he went to, that's years later, right? The pleasant stuff might not come for years, but remember that God's discipline is never divorced from his love for you. Those are all intertwined together. That's how you can get up out of that hole. You you can get out of that hole because you can believe, you know what, I can endure this. God's working something good. I have no idea where this is taking me, but I know he's good. His discipline is not separate from his promise to work good in our lives. No, his discipline has a pleasant end. And that pleasant end is the fruit of endurance. That you're going to continue on in faithfulness. Potiphar's wife jail, whatever comes your way, he will preserve you to the end. C.S. Lewis understood this about pain. Do you you remember his book, The The Problem of Pain? He has this great quote in there where he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's exactly right. When we're in pain, he shouts that the world is not your home. This world is not your hope. That's what he's doing in pain. He's saying, I have something better. I have something better than what this pain is. We can see pain as a sanctifying tool if we believe that. And then it can lead, it can become this seed of endurance in our lives. God will bring painful discipline, I promise you. But if we trust him through it, then it will lead to this soul-satisfying faithfulness. Discipline produces the good fruit of endurance. That's what he's doing. That's what he was doing in Joseph's life. He was helping him endure. He was growing him up. He was maturing him. He was disciplining him. It was painful, but pleasant things came. Can I leave you with six takeaways from when you're experiencing divine discipline? Just. Just six things that I think are practically helpful when you're in this season of divine discipline. Number one, acknowledge discipline. Like, like have a category for it. So, so like if you're in sin and then this discipline comes from it, this painful thing, like assume that it's divine discipline, okay? Joseph, you're sorry to your brothers. Now you're in the hole. Assume that it is God disciplining you. So if you're in sin and and pain is a result of sin, then assume that it's discipline. And that's important because you need to humbly acknowledge that your heavenly Father is using this as a megaphone to discipline you. He's saying, pay attention. There's something you need to understand here. Accept it as a megaphone. Understand, acknowledge it as discipline. But second, understand the discipline. Search the scriptures. Bring in wise counsel. Take a season to where you humbly try to understand, okay, what is he saying to me in that megaphone? Be be in prayer and try to understand what is going on. Understand the discipline. Why am I in this well? What did I do? Take a moment there. Number three, believe that the discipline is good. I'm not saying it's not painful. It's painful. But it's not bad. Just because it's painful doesn't mean that it's bad. It's coming from the good hand of your good heavenly Father. So accept it as good. Therefore, number four, learn the lesson you need to learn. 
There was a lesson that Joseph needed to learn in that well. Again, through seeking God's word, approaching him in prayer, listening to the counsel of God's church, be clear on the lesson that you need to learn. Just on a sidebar here. This is where I think the church is at its best. You need to, when you're in those moments, I cannot overemphasize how important it is to bring those church friends, that wise counsel into that moment. If you're anything like me and you are, you are so self-deceiving. I promise you, you're like me, where you can justify all sorts of craziness, can't you? Like That's where we need those Christian friends to say, oh, okay, okay, good point, but let me just turn the flashlight on of the gospel into this dark corner of your life. We, we need the counsel of others in those moments because we can spiritually justify all sorts of things. Our fallenness, our sinfulness, it's so deep that we can fail to learn the lessons we need to learn unless we bring in wise counsel from our church. That leads to number five, grow and change. Grow and change. Once you narrow to the lesson that you need to learn, set out to grow and change. Now, friends, no one is perfect. You're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect on this. So so my charge to you, grow and change, is not, I know you're awesome, grow and change. My charge to you, grow and change, is you have a helper who will help you. And he promises to never leave you. That's how you can grow and change. You have someone to help you. He's there to sanctify you for the next time you struggle with this. And he is never done with you. With With the helper's help, you can always grow and change. Isn't that good news? And then finally, number six is thus endure. If, if you have the helper, if you understand it, you've narrowed it, he's helping you grow and change, then endure. In other words, never give up because Jesus never gives up on you. That's why you can endure. You see, let the discipline do its work so that you don't grow weary and faint-hearted, verse 3. But rather you endure, verse 7. And you endure by sharing in his holiness, verse 10. You end up looking more like Christ. That's his goal for you. So endure, never give up, and never give up because Jesus never gives up on you. Isn't that great news? You remember when Jesus disciplined Peter for denying him? What a story, right? The Last Supper, you're going to deny me three times. What? No way. I would die first. No way, he says. Doesn't believe God's word. It goes along, and what does he do? Denies him three times. And then you read Luke 22, six, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Whew. What does that look like? What, what did that do to him? And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's discipline. He disciplines him. Is Jesus, through his word, disciplining you in some way today? Have you denied him in some way? Are you struggling with the temptation to fall away? Have you not faithfully endured? Has he given you that look? And you know what he's disciplining you for. That's not the end of the story of Peter, right? That's not the end. If you flip ahead to John 21, we see that Jesus disciplined Peter, but he wasn't done with him. Isn't that great? Here he was in that courtyard, 
denied him. Resurrection happens. Jesus appears to Peter and all the disciples. He miraculously helps them make this huge catch of fish, and he invites them, hey, I've got a fire built. Bring the fish in. Let's just be together. What a beautiful moment. Early in the morning, the waves are coming in, the, the, the fire's crackling, the, the fish is going. They're just there together. Things are as they should be. Now, when I'm disciplined from the Lord, and maybe you do this, I run away. I hide. I pull Adam and Eve, right? We, we get away from him when he's disciplining us. But that's not what Jesus did. He brings them closer. He, he brings Peter into his presence. The discipline was not the end. The discipline was good, and it was right, and it made Peter more holy and, and more like Christ. And on the other side of it, he then brings him in closely, sits him down by the fire, and then he restores him. He brings him back to where he's supposed to be. He restores his call to ministry. Do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. Just like the three times he denied him, he restores him. And then his response every time, verse 15, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, then tend my sheep. Verse 17, then feed my sheep. He communes with him. He brings him back into his presence. And then he restores him. Isn't he good? Isn't he good that he disciplines us? He, he is he's a good, he, like our good earthly fathers, we have this greater heavenly father. And he disciplines us, and it's good, isn't it? Isn't he good that he disciplines us? Amen? But isn't it good that he doesn't just leave us in that courtyard with that stern look? He, he brings us to the, to the beach, and he restores the relationship. Isn't he good? Like, isn't he good that he puts us back to where we're supposed to be? His understanding, his ways, his timing, they're always perfect. Isn't Jesus good? When he disciplines you, isn't he good? His discipline leads to our discipline. It's so good. He calls us to never give up. And then he never gives up on us. Brothers and sisters, isn't he good? Amen? He never gives up on you. He's going to discipline you, but that's never the end of the story. We can endure even his discipline because his steadfast love for us always endures forever. Isn't he good? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage. I hate it and love it all at the same time. Lord, I know everyone in this room is like me and that we hate discipline and the truth of the gospel is is that it's good and it makes us more like you may we heed the call to endure grounded on the fact that you will never let us go you call us to never quit because you never quit on us it's based upon that good news that even though we deny you in the courtyard there's still that breakfast by the fire with you into eternity. You're with us. Your covenant promises remain. You preserve us. You endure us. May we be a people that endure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.